0: It's season four of Pathways by Grenadian STEAM, the podcast where we chat with West Indian professionals at home and in the diaspora who have worked in one or more of the fields of science, technology, engineering, architecture, or mathematics to understand what led them to choose the path they did, the successes, failures, and learnings they've had along the way, and in general, what careers are out there. This season, in addition to debuting full video episodes on YouTube and Spotify to help you feel more engaged, we will be including our members, both students and professionals in the conversations, inviting them to share their own thoughts, ideas, and experiences on the topics brought up by our guests. This is in an effort to encourage and normalize discussions among people of all ages and levels within society. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the journey on today's Pathway. Dr. Nicholson-Ramdeen is a Grenadian-born physiotherapist who graduated with a Doctor of Physiotherapy degree from the University of Melbourne in Australia. Her experience extends from working in Australia, Fiji, Trinidad, and now Grenada as the founder and owner of Spice Orchid Physiotherapy Services over the last five years. Dr. Ramdeen returned to Grenada, where she was employed at St. George's University as a learning strategist and workshop coordinator in the medical school program. In this role, she offered support to students through the Department of Educational Services. She was also a certified basic life support instructor in conjunction with the American Heart Association. Since then, Dr. Ramdeen has transitioned to full-time clinical practice, where she currently desires to expand her services throughout Grenada, Karakou, and PT Martinique. She has a passion for community engagement and education through outreach programs, as seen in her involvement in health fairs, career day presentations, and informative programs. She's currently an executive member of the Caribbean Association of Massage and Bodywork Practitioners, Grenada, or CAMBP, established in 2019, and is currently working towards registering Grenada under the World Physiotherapy Association. Marsha, welcome to Pathways. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So where is it exactly that you grew up?
1: Okay, so I grew up in this very little village in Pedmatas and David's called Charlotte Vale. So that's where i was born and raised
0: okay i can't say i'm familiar with charlotte Bale, although i'm very familiar so with knowing, I'm just saying country cold so they're like oh okay <laughs> got it i learned something new all right so can you list for us every school that you've attended from childhood up to this point in order
1: Okay. well, I started my earliest years in Green Street Primary School, which I still remember today because I loved pre-K. And then I went to St. Mary's Junior RC School. That's when they were in St. George's on the the cathedral. Um, And then they moved to Tempe. So I transferred to St. Dominic's RC School because that was really close to me in Pedramata. Okay. Uh, And then I did uh, my common entrance exam and I was successful. I went to St. Joseph's Convent, St. George's for five years then I went to T.A. Marisha Community College, and then St. George's University,
0: and then I went to the University of Melbourne in Australia. Hey, interesting. And that's something I want to talk about, we'll get to that in a bit. So describe yourself for us as a student, so we're thinking primary, secondary school days, <laughs> in just a few words.
1: Uh, disruptive. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, Very social. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a little unsettled when I was in school. I think learning wasn't a thing. I think some of the ways they taught didn't really resonate with me when I was growing up. So, you know, school for me was, yes, I get to see my friends today. I can do this thing today more than necessarily, yes, academics.
0: Uh, Interesting. Okay. And what was your first job? out of school or a teacher
1: okay where did you <laughs> teach I taught at Happy Hill Secondary School for one semester because when I was in college I made sure I did the teacher's ed program me and a couple of friends of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I asked for a transfer because transportation was just a bit too much and then I taught at the Heinze I taught at the downstairs department for a year
0: okay interesting and what is your current job or profession
1: so I am a full-time physiotherapist uh, slash
0: entrepreneur, <laughs> <laughs> Which means a little bit of everything, really. Correct. <laughs> nice. Okay. So a lot of good things to, to help us piece together there. Tell us a little bit about what the process was for you starting out. So interestingly, you said that you weren't very focused or settled mm-hmm. in school. So mm-hmm. at what point did you start thinking about your future and Deciding on what you wanted okay. to do.
1: So, uh, ever since growing up, one thing they could always say is, Marsha's going to be a doctor. She's going to be either an obstetrician or a gynecologist or a pediatrician. Those were the three things I always said, because wherever kids are, I wanted to be. But I never had a mentor to kind of say, this is what you need to do first, this is what you need to do second. So I kind of winged it. I watched, you know, all the TV shows, you do a little Google search here and there. But I think I really started to settle down into what I wanted to do, honestly, when I left college and I started to teach.
0: Oh, okay. So the reason for going into teaching, what was the thought process coming out of college? I think I'm kind of guilty. I I
1: kind of flew the flag a lot of people fly. You know, you finish school, you have to do something, you want a job. You can start anywhere and you'll go from there anywhere else you want to go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, typically when I was growing up, when you finish school, the things you hear people are are a teacher or a teller in the bank or something like that. So I always said, you know, I like people. I like to talk. It's always been the thing they said to school to be in school is Marsha talks too much. So I said, okay, let me leverage this. If I talk so much, I may as well put it to use. So right. I said, you know what, let me do teaching. So we did teach us college with our degree in college. And then I went into the teaching profession just to see what it was like, to see how I felt in there, but knowing ultimately that I needed to be a doctor.
0: Got it. Okay. So based on that, what was the next step that you took while you were working and trying to decide how to get into right, doctor?
1: So teaching was a beautiful experience. I think, I don't think enough credit goes out to teachers. You have to be so disciplined and meticulous with how you, your lessons plan and go, how to prepare for chaos in the classroom, how to keep students attention. Like it's always ongoing. So when I was doing that, I really started seeing, you know, some of the things I will consider my strengths. And then I said, okay, Marsha, you know what you're good at. You know what you're not good at. Let's get you going because this doctor, the journey is already told to be years and I don't have forever. So then he's not going. So what I actually did was I applied to Midwestern because Midwestern was campaigning at that time in Grenada a lot. And I was successful in getting accepted to Midwestern. I even got the scholarship waiver program that they gave to some recipients um, so that they don't have to worry so much. But tuition was a big part of my problem. So as much as I wanted to go, that opportunity, I had to let it go. And then, you know, my parents are like, you look, this is something you want, but not necessarily something you need. You have a university right here in Grenada. Yeah. So I reluctantly, to be honest, signed up for SGU. But it turned out to be a blessing in disguise for me. How so? Well, uh, I think I started to really change my mindset to education when I started SGU. So for my first semester, I pretty much wasn't here. I was mad that I had to stay in Grenada. I was mad that I was doing these courses. Some of these things had nothing to do with medicine. So I was just like in my feelings for an entire semester. And then I started meeting people from all sorts of walks of life because it's green but you meet people internationally while you're here. And you know, I started to say, why am I denying myself this opportunity? I'm meeting all these amazing people. I can learn, I can grow. So what's stopping me from being great? And if you wanna be a doctor, this is the perfect playing field for you to start, get started and my mindset shift instantly i was in all organizations you name it i wasn't it i became president of the student association for the undergrad program i was in plays and whatever you called it i was in there in some capacity. so and then i really embraced learning and that's where i think i started to feel myself okay this doctor thing that i've been talking about for so long it's starting to manifest itself
0: so in all of that, um, did you have an idea of what specialty you wanted to get into? I know you talked about gyno and yeah, so Yeah, so,
1: so peds at this point, pedi- pediatrics and obstetrics were my two okay. areas of interest. I had, but I had to do it a very technical way. So remember I said earlier on finances was a big thing for me.
0: Uh-huh. Now when you
1: join SGU, you get a discount because you're Grenadian automatically. So I had to work now to get the scholarship to pay for the rest of school, which I was able to do once I shift my mindset. You know, I went from hating maths and absolutely detesting it to tutoring maths and statistics. So, you know, it, it it really is, mindset is a very powerful thing. So once I got the scholarship and I got in, I had to make sure that My next step, whatever I do, I have my degree in my hand. So the thing about SGU is if you join the pre-med program, you don't get your bachelor's degree until you start your first semester of medicine. I didn't have money, so I didn't think that medicine route would go so quickly for me. So what I did was I did my life sciences degree, but I made sure I followed everything on the pre-medical program curriculum. Because okay. that way at the end of my four years, I had a life sciences degree and I had my career because it's needed if I have to do my exam to get into medical school.
0: Got it. Okay, so you thought this through. I thought
1: this through, I got serious.
0: Yeah, wow. And that's so important because you hear so many stories where people just kind of, you know, they're figuring it out as they go. And then at the end, they're like, wow, I have to spend another couple years to do something exactly. that I didn't, I didn't know I, I had to like, do. And I think like
1: academic advisors are so important at that point. Because when I did my first semester, I pretty much filmed my first semester because I really wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. And I went to the advisor that I was assigned to at the time, and unfortunately, I had a horrible experience where they said, you know, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you should consider another career path. And something about her telling me I can't do it just switched the you know the flip the switch in your head, and you're like, yeah, oh, you're Watch you me can't <laughs> do it. <Watch> <laughs> <me."> <laughs> and that's where I really just kind of came to life.
0: Wow. Okay. Great. So then. You completed your your life sciences degree. Mm -hmm. And then did you go straight into medical school after that or pre-med? No. So
1: my journey has a lot of twists and turns in there. So when I graduated from SGU, because I was a tutor for anatomy, physiology, statistics, and mathematics, I received a couple of awards while I was in school for my work tutoring. So I applied to the Department of Educational Services, DES, And they had an opening for a supplemental learner. So a supplemental learner is pretty much a faculty tutor where you come in and the students go over the contents of their lecture in a more fun, interactive way. Because I realize I'm a really hands-on, show-me kind of person and I'll get it, but tell me to read it. I have no idea what's going on. I got employed in August of 2010 by SGU. And I worked for three semesters in SGU. And then the bug started hitting me again. It's like, come on, don't get comfortable. I know it's all the sciences that are related to the field that you want to do, but you need to go. So my thing was like, I knew I didn't have money to pay for SGU. I didn't have anything at my disposal to just be like, here's something for security. Because the first thing you go into the bank, they ask for security. And I'm like, how am I supposed to have security? I'm a student. I just graduated. Yeah. So I went to the ministry. I called the Ministry of uh, Education and I said, hey, do you guys have any scholarships? And I said, no, nope, we don't have any scholarships. I said, okay, cool. And being me, I never just take no for an answer. Like I tell you there's a challenge that gets me going. So I went on to Google and I typed in scholarship for Caribbean students. Funny enough, there was this scholarship called the Oasis scholarship that came up, but I didn't jump on the scholarship until something in my life happened that made me feel like I had to do this. So remember I told you I always wanted to do obstetrics, pediatrics, gynecology, one of those three. Yes. At that time, my grandma had a stroke and she went into the hospital and I went into the hospital and I'm looking around and she's pretty much just there on the bed. They're not doing anything much. And unfortunately, she passed away. And I said, you know what? She lived a really good life. They told us she wouldn't make 10 years before she did. And she, you know, she she was a vibrant woman. So it's like, okay, time has passed. I understood that. But then shortly after, one of my very best friend's mother had a stroke. And she was like 30 years younger than her grandmother. Wow. Mm-hmm. But The protocol that was applied to her was the same protocol that I saw being applied to my grandmother. And I was like, wait a minute. So we're just going to like let her die. Like what's, what's the plan of care? Like what happens once they diagnose that you have a stroke? I started looking into this thing and then I saw physiotherapy come up and I was like, oh, what's this? And, you know, so I saw them doing things and I would go in the hospital and pretend I know what I was doing and trying to get it all like squeeze a ball or whatever. And some of the nurses got pissed at me because, you are know, like, who's this person coming in to miss my patient? Right. Unfortunately, she didn't make it. And it really hit hard that, you know, I don't want to be the person to come in and say, oh, yeah, you have a TIA or you have a stroke. And then then what? All right. So I was like, okay, let me figure out where the recovery piece comes in after that. And that scholarship was still there waiting. And they're like, you have a month to apply. Um, so I was like, that's it. That's, that's what I want to do. And my friend Nadine let, I love her to death because she really started teaching me about physio because she's in sports and she kind of liked that field. So I was like, okay, this is something that can really work in the Caribbean. It's not something we talk about here. Let me push it through. So I applied for the scholarship. They said they'll get back to me in a month. Two months later i didn't hear anything so i said okay well you know i tried okay. i guess you know i just wasn't lucky in this round and i'll never forget the day i was coming from zumba in the trade center with one of my friends and i'm walking out and i see this thing come up on my phone saying oasis i was like oh they're finally telling me i didn't get it like you know my, yeah, my yeah. Mother, and my friend was like just open it like let's see what it's about and it said, congratulations. And I remember just running into the street <laughs> in oncoming traffic. And I'm like, I'm going to Australia. And my mother's like, what? Where are you going? The place where everything can kill you? Um, <laughs> but, you know, since then, she's, she's come off of that. And, um, yeah, and that's how I end up switching gears from where I was into physio. And then I joined the program in Australia
0: ok. so was this was the Oasis scholarship specifically for physiotherapy? or no, it was an amazing scholarship.
1: It's a scholarship that gives you full room and board, full tuition, a stipend, a return ticket home once you do well, and health insurance. Wow. It was a very impressive scholarship. And apparently, the reason why they took so long is because they got 300 recipients. And out of the 300, only 30 of us were selected, six from which were from Grenada. So I felt so honored to be given that opportunity.
0: Yeah, congrats, years after. (laughs) that's great but do you know if that's still an ongoing
1: scholarship there was a moment where they stopped it because of change in political parties but they're putting it back on but instead of the oasis directly there's a merit scholarship for like really high achieving students but i tell anybody apply like you don't know what high achieving is for you like don't right. feel like you know they say high achieving i don't have a 4 gpa so i'm not going to apply so yeah that one is still available
0: okay great at this point, you find out that you're going to Australia, which I'm sure wasn't like a very easy transition. So oh, what no, did, it was not. What did that preparation look like? So the Oz Award team attached to ACEs did a fantastic
1: job. They actually brought us to Trinidad, all the recipients. Um they had a big debriefing. They told you what to expect. They told you how you're gonna get paid, how the health insurance is gonna go, what's expected to us. They made us do um a plan as to what you're going to do how you're going to reintegrate your skill back into society when you came back and you know and what they did was really lovely is that when you get to australia you get assigned a person and they try to make sure it's a person from like your background so i had a solution who met me when i was there and kind of gave me like a two-day crash course of all things you need to know about australia before she set me free into the madness right Um, but they really did a really good job taking care of you all the way through the program
0: good Okay, and so this was a master's degree, medical program. What was the degree? So,
1: my degree is a funny degree. <laughs> it's an extended degree. So, it's above a master's, but not a full PhD. Okay. So, and it was a condensed program. So this was supposed to be a four-year program. They condensed it into three years. So it hits above a master's degree, but if I was to go and do my thesis on a topic, then I would get my full PhD in it. But in, Aust- but in the US, it's a doctor of physiotherapy. So it's a, a DPT. Got it,
0: okay. Mm-hmm. All right, what was that transition like? Because prior to this, you were Ooh. gonna be an obstetrician. <laughs> Did, was it what you expected? Like, was there any point where you're like, what what did I just do?
1: Yeah, there was a moment that I was like, did I make a wrong move? Like, what am I doing here? Um, mm-hmm. My first semester there was very challenging for me. I was the only black person in the class. I was also the only female with all the curves because, you know, yeah. Caribbean people come curvy. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the, my classmates were mainly from Malaysia, Australia itself. Pakistan, Sri Lanka, So they were not necessarily the courier set. So there were a lot of, I felt like a giant half of the time. In yeah, the yeah, it. yeah. And one of my, there were two moments I had. I had a really high moment and then I had a crashing moment where I was like, what am I doing here? So my crashing moment was research. Okay. I did all of St. George's University courses the only course I did not do in pre-med was a course they had called research. I was like, I don't need to do any research. <laughs> it's like, I want my sciences. I'm good to go. Okay. And our first assignment, they asked us to do a research paper with references and citation. All of these words flew right over my head. and never had anything to do with that before because in anatomy and physiology, you pull up the cadaver, you tell me where things are, I'm good to go, how does it work, fine and i got my first assignment so i did what i knew i went on google (laughs) (laughs) on google scholar i pulled up some stuff obviously i did not plagiarize i knew about plagiarism i put in whatever i thought was a reference google's what apa was because these are all new terms to me and they called me in and they're like well what is this (laughs) and i said I'm so sorry, but I don't know. Like, I've never done this before. Yeah. And I felt like just going into a hole and disappearing. I was like, here I am representing the Caribbean in this international school. And I later found out that Melbourne University was like the top university people I went to like, oh, you're a genius. I was like, no, oh, I just work hard. Um, so here I am standing in front of my faculty member asking me, like, what was this? So I had a, I had a cry. <laughs> I called back to home and I was like, how do I do this? I've never done this before. All my lit and, and psychology students were like on it with this. So I had to reach out to some of them and I had to do my own little research to kind of groom myself up. But that was the hardest thing for me to get because I really didn't understand the whole referencing world. Mm-hmm. But then I had my little redemption when we had presentations. So Caribbean people can talk if there's one thing we can do, you put us on the spot and we will make plastic bags so exciting. <laughs> and we had a presentation to do and my groups were like, oh, everyone will have these flashcards and they're like flipping through it and like, Marsha, where's your flashcards? It's like, I don't need flashcards. And they're like, we really think you should get some flashcards. It's like, no, I'm okay. And, you know, everyone just kept coming up, different groups coming up to the projector and they're reading the cards and you are watching the exact words on the screen. And I'm like, what are they doing? And I had to go up to present. And I went up there and I walked away from the podium and I was pointing with the pointer and all that stuff. Because I think this is me in my element. And this is right. teaching kind of saved me. In some exactly. Place. And when I was done, like the whole class stood up and the lecturer started applauding, And she's like, this is the best presentation we've ever seen. And I'm like... Thanks. <laughs> I like got a little person. validation there, but it, it was, it was, there were some highs and some lows definitely going into my program.
0: Right, right. I'm sure. And that's the one thing, like the whole cultural shift mm-hmm. is one that people usually don't expect, especially moving to like another English-speaking country. It's like, Correct. oh, it's the same thing. Exactly. But it, it's really not. It's not. <laughs> All right. So that was a three-year program. Mm-hmm at the end of that did you stay in Australia for the entire time did you ever get to travel Um, so
1: I did well enough that I had good grades that I can get my trips home so I got I took two trips no I think I got a I took two trips on my time there the first one i came home to surprise my mom after my first year just to show that you know nothing killed me Uh, (laughs) no bites i'm good (laughs) exactly and then one of the trips i took so we had to do a placement in australia and then we had to try and do an international placement and i could have gone anywhere in the world but i said you know what Australia showing me the very best of healthcare The healthcare system over there is impeccable. Like there isn't a drop anywhere in the line from you being entered to the hospital to you getting back to your house. And I was like, I cannot come home and try and do this. Like I will be shot on site. So I said, let me choose somewhere where they're still developing healthcare. And I was really lucky to get to Fiji. So I spent three weeks in Fiji and I did my placements there. And I worked in a private practice. I saw all types of patients and treated all types of conditions. And I really like kind of got into the culture of Fiji. Fiji's kind of like Grenada 20 years ago.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, like there were there were dial-up cafes. <laughs> oh. And this was not 20 years ago that you were there. This is somewhat right. this was in 2014. Okay. Yeah, so So there's there's, there's
1: modern Fiji. Don't hear me not say that. Like there's resort Fiji where everything is top notch, but like with the locals, it's really dial back. But I really appreciated that time there.
0: Yeah, nice. And I'm I'm guessing that kind of gives you a two sided approach because you have like the small developing country, but still I'm guessing a little bit progressive in terms of development. Correct. Correct. Enjoy a stay at True Blue Bay Boutique Resort, a family run eco-friendly waterfront resort in the beautiful island of Grenada. Choose between tropical rooms, suites or villas and enjoy complimentary breakfast, access to four pools, guided water sport activities, as well as the option for spa treatments, yoga classes, diving and snorkeling trips. Relax by one of the pools and get drinks served to you from the poolside bar or go adventuring the coastline on our kayaks, finding turtles, eagle rays or even lobsters. Perfect for families, couples, and single travelers, True Blue Bay Resort has something for everyone. Email reservations at truebluebay.com for bookings and inquiries. So after all of this amazing experiences in Australia and Fiji, did you come directly back to Grenada? How did you transfer all your new knowledge to home?
1: (laughs) So, you know the, the sensation of a bubble just kind of popping. Yeah. That's kind of how I, it was when I came back home. So I came back home, all guns of blazing. I'm like, yes, let's fix healthcare ingredients. Let's do a great thing. Let's push it through. Um, and to help me in that process, I remembered on my trip before I came back home to stay, I started putting in my paperwork to get registered because I knew things took a while. So I was like, let me be proactive. And that's that's one thing anybody could say is Masha is very proactive. Sometimes too proactive to my detriment. My husband always says, I love it about you and I hate it about you at the same time because <laughs> I can get very anal. But I try to like start putting things in place so when I get back home, you know, I'm ready to work. That didn't go as planned. Um, I came back home. The board was meeting... I didn't have my license to practice, and you have to have a license to practice.
0: That's interesting because, for a lot of careers, I think in Grenada, you don't actually need a license to practice. Correct.
1: But anything in healthcare, you have to have your documents and checked off and ready to go. Which is fair. Good. <laughs> Which is fair because, I mean, we're messing with people's lives here. We want to be proper. Um, so I got really frustrated when I got home. Like the first one is fantastic. You come home, you see everybody, you travel, you take in everything, but then, you know, you just graduated. I'm very grateful. I had no debt because I had a scholarship, but I also want to make some money. So I wasn't getting anywhere with Grenada after two months being home. So I went on Caribbean job search. I submitted my application, I submitted on Friday, on Monday I had an interview, and on Tuesday I had a job in Trinidad. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, somebody else wants me, but Trinidad turned out to be a very interesting experience because, like I said, wherever you work, you have to be registered. So I said to the organization that was hiring me, I said, okay, so let me just get this paperwork in, once I get it in, I'll be right there. And they're like, no, 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 come, we're really good with the board, we'll get you sorted. So... Young, naive. My My mother's like, you just came, you're leaving me. I was like, you know, mom, it's okay. I'm right there. It's not that far away. I head down to Trinidad. I was told that, you know, there's another physio on the team. So there's going to be two of us working there and there's a doctor there. So it'd be great. I got there. I was the only physio. Oh. And I'm like, what's happening?
0: (laughs) I'm not yet registered. I'm not yet registered.
1: So I was like this doesn't sit well with me. Maybe we shouldn't do this. So they said, okay, no, let's talk to the board. And the board said, okay, well, your credentials are Australian. We only have credentialing for the Caribbean because Jamaica does a bachelor's in physio and the U.S. So I said, okay, what does that mean? So they said to me, well, you have to get your credentials evaluated by a state in the U.S. And I said, but if I get evaluated by a state in the U.S. and I get approved, why would I want to stay in Trinidad? Because that means I can go and work in the States. But they said, you know what, that's that's the protocol. Now, at the same time, I also applied to the U.K. because I like having options. And this is a very flexible job. I can work anywhere. And I got approved with my U.K. application instantly. So I was like, okay, this is the States. It will take me maybe a month. So, the organization was like, can you please just kind of stay with us still? We don't have anyone to run the clinic. We have all these patients. And here I am looking like, you know, Mother Teresa. I said, okay, sure, you know, I'll (laughs) help out still. And this was a private practice or? This is a private practice. Okay. So, I started working. I told them I'll do it voluntarily for a while because I just wanted experience. I had all this information and I wanted to help. Yeah. And we submitted the documents. Well, the clinic agreed to pay for that evaluation because they made me come here. I said, you're not gonna leave me high and dry. Right. So so while that's happening, I'm treating patients. I had a full caseload. I would see 10 to 12 patients a day. Sessions are usually an hour. One minute I'll be in the pool in hydrotherapy. I'll be on land in the harness. I was just going, maxing it out. And about three months later, the crediting body sent back a thing saying, it's insufficient or it's deficient, and I was like, "Why is it deficient?" And they said, "Oh, these areas aren't covered." And I was like, "No, I covered all of this in my program." And they're like, "Okay, well, your program could send this information, and we'll reevaluate you for another six hundred U.S." And I was like, "That's not happening." So, <laughs> so I said to the the team there, I said, "Look, I'm going to be two more months, and then I'm going to leave because I don't want my reputation to be put on the line for this. Uh-huh. I'm a by the books person, and this is not by the books." Right. So they got a Jamaican girl to come in who just finished in Jamaica studying her bachelor's. And I said to her, get out of here as fast as you can. Mm. You're too young to ruin your reputation. And I left
0: and I came back home. And came back home with no prospects here either. No prospects yet.
1: This is a point where I think... You want to do things the right way, but you're kind of forced into that place where you have to do what everyone else is doing to get ahead. You have to know someone or have a connection. And it sounds so bad to say, like, your work should speak for itself. Right. I had to go to the prime minister's office. I said, hello, Dr. Mitchell. I am here and I'm ready to work. My name is Marsha Nicholson-Ramdeen. I'm a physiotherapist and I can't get registered. I saw him on Friday. He said to come into his office on Monday. And on Wednesday I had my license Wow. and and it sounds horrible to say, but it's the reality of what I experienced and I won't lie to anyone and for anyone.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So with a license in Grenada, what are your options?
1: Anything. You can work private, you can do home-based physio, you can work with centers, you're, you're, you're registered. So basically what your registration is three years registration and in three years time you get to renew it. And what you are required to do is make sure that you do professional development so some course type of development so in australia it's a little different you can do courses you can read articles you can attend webinars and seminars but for grenada they need to see like a course where you gain points so that it can be validated so that was something i had to learn as i did my first cycle of review
0: are there any public physiotherapy or were there any at the time like an existing physiotherapy office you could join <laughs>
1: um so there's the hospital the hospital has its outpatient physiotherapy clinic and there were two known centers that are on island that do private physio unfortunately i tried to reach out um i don't know what happened it wasn't received uh so i just decided Everything happens for a reason. I'm a very spiritual person. I prayed about it and I let it go. And so my clinic didn't kick off once I got my license, to be honest. Once I got my license, I was also hired by DES again. I had come back in and they're like, oh, the med students need learning strategists. Are you interested in the post? And I was like, at this point, yes, because... I'm just starting off. There's no money in my hand. And it's my sciences that I'm helping the students with anyway. So it stays with me. So I was like, I'm not going to lose. So I did SGU for five years, working with the medical school program. But in the meantime, what I started to do was I was a mobile physio, I had a backpack. I had all my stuff in my bag and I had a bus fee and I would travel to people's house. And I, I've been to places like Mount Campbell and Bolio and all of this on the bus in my free time. It was exhausting. But I said, you know what? I get to practice. And that was really important for me. So that's how I started the practice. So yeah. what I actually did was as soon as I came home, I registered a business and I called it Spice Office Physiotherapy Mobile Services because I was on the move. Right. Um, and that way I have something to keep myself accountable as the business grew.
0: And so how did you even land your first client? <laughs> my first client
1: is my dearest my my heartstring. One of my coworkers, when I was teaching, not teaching, well, faculty in SGU. Her mom got into a really bad accident. And she knew I was home and she called me. She's like, I don't care what you're doing, you have to physio my mother. I said, okay. I said, I, I mean, I had some experience from Trinidad and I had experience in Australia because I worked in all the hospitals and stuff in Australia. But you know, now it's like you trust in yourself. There's no one to talk to. This is just you. She's like, you have to go to my mother. So I started doing therapy with her three times a week and she was just like oh my god look she's walking she's doing the stuff and you know and this is the moment that makes my job validated so that was my first client she still calls me every now and then to say i'm doing well you know i always hear she's smiling so that was that was my initiation to bring me the physio
0: so you touched on something there that i want to dig into a little bit so you come back and yes you have all this experience you know Mm -hmm. that you know you're a credible physiotherapist but stepping into your own practice and being on your own must have been a bit of a a different feeling too oh yeah so how did you get through that like initial change and i guess trusting yourself
1: a lot of prayers um i'm a very strong advocate in god guiding you where he needs to guide you and my husband is my rock he's the one that will say fair of faith which one you're choosing today because they can't choose one of them in a day and i i had very good support like my mom was my biggest cheerleader for everything and then i have my my cousins and so forth and they're always like but you got this like watching you do it what's the difference between doing it with us and someone is that you don't know and I was like well I don't know if people are receptive to it because physio was still really young in Grenada. like you know a lot of people thought physio were glorified massage therapist, which I still have to work on you know dispelling sometimes but there was a lot of that and then my husband also is a business major so he saw things and how it can like materialize okay so you know with some guidance and a little bit of prayer and just staying the course it's it kind of
0: sort itself out. Nice. All right. So then on the, on the entrepreneurial side, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what was that process for you? Like establishing your business?
1: So I started working in SGU in 2017 and I worked for a year. So here I was debt-free, making good money, starting to settle myself in and my clients were building. Now I never advertised at that point because I'm working for the university. So I have a full-time job. So the physio was on the side. But I kid you not, word of mouth is the best wildfire you can have to build or break you. And this time it built me. So people just kept calling and they're like, Masha, uh, I want some physio. Can you come home? Where are you located? And people start asking me, where are you located? And I was like, okay, people are looking for me. Right. So my husband and I sat and we looked at our books and we said, you know, this is something you, you're good at. And people are calling for your service. So let's give them a service. Uh-huh. So then I then started shopping around. And then my really good friend, Linnell Gilbert Marshall, said, oh, there's a place right opposite CK's that's vacant right now. Well, not vacant. There was a person renting there. So this is Ms. Christine Shaw. She's been a phys- uh, massage therapist for almost 10 years in Grenada. And she was looking for someone to share the space. So I went in there and there was this room and then there was this massive waiting area. So I was like, well, this might be a little too small because you know, you have to treat and then there's the exercise component. So I need a bigger space. And my husband was like, are you open to like cutting the waiting area in half? Because it was really long. And she's was like, do whatever you need to darling. And I was like, I was like, okay. So in a weekend, my husband and I sat, took cash, built a wall, yourselves, our, 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 my husband's very handy. I'm, I'm very blessed. Very I blessed. love it. Uh, he cuts through the wall, puts up a dry wall <laughs> where there was nothing. Mm-hmm. put in some paint, got some really good sturdy gym carpets. And the next thing you know, I was having an opening for the clinic.
0: Wow, that's great. And then from there, at this point, nothing really changed. I'm guessing you were just able to direct people to. Education. Yeah. So what I
1: would do is I would work my eight to four from SGU uh-huh. and I would work four thirty 30 to eight in the clinic three days a week. And on the Saturdays, the whole wow. Saturday, it blew up faster than I anticipated.
0: <laughs> really? Wow.
1: So I was kind of like, Ooh, I gotta, I kinda gotta pace myself here. So, because, you know, SGU is very taxing in itself. Physio is very taxing in itself. So I had to come up with a schedule where, you know, every other week I'm not working so that my self care, which is so important, is covered. Okay. And I don't burn out and I give everyone the best of myself. And I did that for three years. And then I um, COVID happened and we were working online. So I made some adjustments where I could see students online who are more international in the night and I could do some hours in the clinic in the day. So I still got all my work done and I still was meeting my quotas everywhere. But the list just kept getting bigger and it's like, okay, okay. And then in December of 2021, I decided I've given SGU five good years. My clinic is growing. And it's just time for me to go into that place where I'm actually passionate. Um, right. And I love the stuff I did in SGU. I love helping students. That's a very rewarding experience in itself. But I'm a physiotherapist, right? And, you know, there's always that that fear of leaving that safety net. You know, this is guaranteed money. It's a good school. Reputation is high. Things will happen easier for me. But like, again, when God says to jump, you don't ask him when and how you jump. And I just decided to take the jump. And now we have been going. We're in April now. And the
0: clinic has
1: been thriving.
0: Wow. I think this can be a shift for entrepreneurs. Do you still think of it as, you know, just like something you do on the side? Or is this like... A company, no, this
1: is this business, is my
0: job. This is my business. Yeah. And I'm starting to
1: switch gears now where I start to feel more business like, I was like, maybe I should do a business course on the side. Because like I hear myself talking about things about franchising and outlets and expanding. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what some of these things mean. So my husband's <laughs> like, you know, my little quick Google, what is this big? And he'll tell me, but
0: <laughs> yeah, <right.
1: laughs> if it forces you to do business, even if you don't think you are a business person. Mm-hmm.
0: I love what you said about, you said that it blew up a lot faster than you were expecting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any idea of what caused that? Do you think it's just the visibility of having an office now or people talking more mouth. seriously? Word of mouth.
1: So when COVID happened, I was seeing, I would have say about 60 patients on rotation. Mm-hmm. And I started to do this thing where I said, you know what? I'm having a problem where patients are coming in to me and they don't know what's happening to them, or the doctor gave them a course of medication, but no plan thereafter to do physio or whatever the case may be. So I said, let me just do a little bit of education, let people understand some of the major things that I see here in Grenada. So I started doing these little series where I put myself out there and I tape and I talk about a topic of the week. So it was sciatica. It was bad footwear. It was ergonomic sitting at home, working at home. And I started sending that out and I was like, okay, a couple of people started coming my way with that. But the biggest thing in all things has been patients and how they recover from whatever they had and just, Like I always hear them say, I learned so much about what's going on with me with you, which I've never had experienced
0: before. With that, in a lot of like your posts and conversations that I've seen you in, you talk about that importance of people being active participants Mm -hmm. in their own healthcare process. And then that also being supported by the doctors themselves. Correct. I mean, I think all of us can agree. Anyone who's been to a doctor here can say that there's sometimes poor communication, mm-hmm. and not just in medic- medicine, but in a lot of different mm-hmm. professional client relationships. So, what are some of your thoughts on this? Like, how do you think doctors or professionals can improve long term relationships with their patients and help them to better understand? Their own health. There are some
1: doctors who are doing a phenomenal job right now. There are doctors who are really interested and invested in their patients. So they'll say, you know, let's talk about what's happening with you. They'll pull up a model, they'll open up their laptops and show them exactly what's going on. But unfortunately, I've also had patients come to me and say, well, the doctor just said, take this tablet and then come and see you. <laughs> and then I have to be like, well, Do you you understand what's happening? And they're like, no. So I'll have to pull up an x-ray. Even their own x-ray, like you'll go and get an x-ray done. They don't explain the x-ray to you. And then they keep the x-ray. But when you go to the next doctor, they're going to make you do an x-ray again, because now you have nothing to work with. Right. So from the patient side, I always say to advocate for yourself. Don't be disrespectful. Don't go in there being Dr. Google and telling the doctor what's going on, but say, hey, doc. This is what I observe. Can you explain what's happening here? And then asking for a copy of your test results, because it's your test results. The doctor is doing you a service, so you are entitled to your documents, right? So I always tell them to advocate for themselves. On the flip side, I'm trying to get more of my, my colleagues in the profession to understand that if you explain what's happening, the buy-in is 10 times from a patient as opposed to just giving them this and saying, go away. So for example, I had a patient who had a really bad shoulder problem and the pain was so much. And they said, well, the doctor said you can either do physio or you can get this injection. And I had to sit and say, you can get the injection, but when you get the injection, it's not going to solve your problem. It's going to reduce your symptoms and it will come back tenfold and then you'll have to come with me with more pain. What needs to happen is you get the injection and then you commence the physio. So by the time it wears out the effect of whatever the injection was, it's more manageable. So I try to work with some of the doctors to kind of say, please explain the process. But there are a lot of doctors that don't understand what physios do. So they don't refer. Because I get patients that come in sometime and they're like, oh, I was in a cast for six months. The doc said, just do these exercises and I'll be fine. And their foot should be here and it's here. And they're like, well, this is where I'm at. And you know the physio is so late down the line that the work is twice as hard had they said you're going to have some stiffness and some restricted range of motion. Go to a physio, get a couple of sessions in and you should be fine. So it's getting that conversation and the community to work together. I feel like sometimes here, everyone wants to keep everybody for themselves. Yes. But I feel like the more you give them out, they're going to be like, oh yeah, this doc really was good. He referred me to the person I needed to go to next. I'm going back to them. And that's what I think they need to understand because no one can do it. I definitely cannot do it alone.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're going to get overloaded real quick. Exactly. But that's such an important thing. And it's not just in medicine or physio or any mm-hmm. of that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, a cultural yes. <laughs> issue that we have where no one wants to share any information. You just want to keep everything to yourself,
2: Correct. thinking
0: that that's going to better you somehow.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: holding all of us back at the exactly. end of the day.
1: Exactly. So I did a series a couple, I think a year ago, I call it the multidisciplinary care series. And I felt it was necessary to pull all these different people together. So I had myself as a physio, I had sports trainers or gym trainers. I had a occupational therapist, I had a social worker, because we all need each other. We all rely on each other. Like in Australia, if you go to the water to do ward rooms and the physio, the doctor, the social worker, the pathologist not there, no wardrobes, like we have to sit and talk through all of these profiles and say, what's the plan of care as a team? And I think team is the word that's missing home. Like everyone feels like, you know, I can do this. I don't need this other person. This person's gonna take this person from me, but it really isn't about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Because everyone has their own role. Exactly. So you you mentioned that you're trying to work on encouraging others to do that. How's that going for you? <laughs>
1: Some days are good. <laughs> i have i have some really good relationship with some doctors so i would refer to the doctors the doctors will refer to me i have some stuff going where trainers in the gym will send clients to me they feel like you know they keep getting injured when they do this particular thing to look at their form and see wherever we have to correct. so it's growing slowly
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's better than nothing at all
0: true yeah bit by bit they'll get there bit by bit so What do you see for yourself in the next, let's say five, 10 years? What do you envision for your -hmm. your career, your practice?
1: First, Grenada needs to be on the World Physio Association. There are too many Caribbean islands who started physio later than Grenada. That's on the list that we are not on there. So that's one visionary thing there for me. And it's great because we actually have a Grenadian on the board willing to help us. So I'm gonna push
0: that as fast and hard as we can. Well, what does that, um, that change for Grenada to be on, on that board?
1: We get recognized. We can get promotional sponsorship. We can, we can host seminars. People could come to Grenada and do physio training. Like we open ourselves up to the market, but right now we're, we're not even on the list. So I'm really looking forward to that. In terms of my practice, I need physio to, like you hear the word physio in Grenada and it, it's not a question. It's where, not what. So I'm realizing there are areas in Grenada that still needs a lot of physio support. They've been reaching out and asking, you know, can you come up here for a couple of days and do some work sort of thing. So I'm open to having maybe two or three more centers within Grenada, Canarko and PT. But my ultimate goal, and I think I have to leave home to come back home for that goal to materialize is to have an inpatient rehabilitation clinic. And when I say that, what that means is when you get discharged from a hospital, you're not gonna go home and get a carer who has no idea how to take care of this disease or this condition to monitor you. Because what happens? you get bed sores and pressure sores and pneumonia and you have to go back into the hospital and it's just a vicious cycle or the person caring for you gets back pain because they have to lift you and they don't know how to lift and all of that stuff it's something that i see in australia which is so beautifully executed you get discharged from the hospital you get in administered into the rehab clinic you're there from between three to six months and it's the same money you will take to take pay the carer you're paying for your your rehab Mm. where all the faculties that need to help you in your recovery are there so that you get discharged and you're functionally independent when you go home. Because that's the biggest thing, when you're sick, you wanna go back to what you used to be or as close to it as possible. I've seen so many patients and I I really, my heart goes out to stroke patients because it's not an easy thing. I think a lot of Grenadians or Caribbean people maybe, We'll see. This person has a stroke and they went back to work, and this other person has a stroke and they're like, well, why this person can't do it?" But there's so many places a stroke could happen in the head, and depending on where it affects, the function of that person will differ. And some okay. of the families can be so harsh on the person's going through the rehab. And I mean, I've, I've had to put my foot down. I'm very much an advocate for for people. So you know, sometimes I'll be like, "Why don't you just move your hand? You see everybody else doing it, just move it." And I'll tell them, "You can wait in the waiting room. This is hard." I said, I'm going to sometimes I actually do it. I tape the person's hand down on the chair and I said, try to move that hand with your mind. And, you know, it kind of gives them the oh, this is what this feels like, because sometimes and I understand it, too. And that's why I think psychologists are really important in this rehab thing, mindset, because sometimes it's a taxing thing on the family as well as it is on the patient. Mm -hmm. So making them understand exactly what the person is going through makes them a little bit more empathetic and understanding. But at the same time, you give them an opportunity to see how they feel that this person is progressing. And all of that can happen in that rehab clinic. So by the time the person goes home, you're like, okay, you don't need much supervision. I can send in Miss Mary once a week to just help you clean the house. You're good on your own. And and that's where I need Grenadians to be.
0: That would be great. So just curious, you said that you think you'd have to leave Grenada and come back to make that happen. Why? Why do you think so?
1: Um, you ever tried to network in Grenada? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. Everyone is about what is best for them. People are not willing to invest into a greater vision until they can see where they can see their benefit. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get like-minded people to say, let's open this center. This is how much we need to put in for it to go. It's not going to be a million dollar mansion overnight. It will start slow and small and we will build. I can go outside and do that and get people on my team. I have my friends who I studied with in Australia saying, I'm happy to come over and do it three, four months with you. But do I have a facility to bring them and cater for them? No. So I feel like as much as you want to stay inside and do things, you need people outside who see the vision to help propel the, 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 the ideas that you have. Because sometimes if you bring your ideas here, someone will shut you down in the water dead. Oh, this doesn't make sense. This is not going to work here. But you don't know what I'm doing. So you won't understand it. So it's to get like-minded people willing to push that story further.
0: I completely understand. <laughs> so best of luck. Thank you. All right. So just before we wrap up here, what is a piece of advice that you would want to share with with the students coming up, people who might be interested in getting into physio or just trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and maybe hitting a few bumps along the way?
1: Be curious and don't take no for an answer because there's a lot of opportunities outside. And I'll use this opportunity to kind of put in a plug here as well there's a lot of scholarships outside that people have no idea about. Mm -hmm. Some are being advertised by the government, some are not, or some are being advertised right when they're about to close, which doesn't give people very much time (laughs) to do it. (laughs) But I've realized that there are a lot of people with so much potential here and they just don't have the avenue to do so. So one of the things I'm actually working on right now is creating a program or a service where persons who want to apply for scholarships there's a program and a pathway to help them do so to go anywhere because there are scholarships right now that are available that just says scholarship to the us you can choose any profession you just need to be accepted by the school and then apply for the scholarship and you get it wow but the students don't know about that um, and there's online versions and there's in-person versions and there's for Europe and there's for Australia and there's for anywhere in the world that you could potentially think about there's scholarships available it's just knowing how to access them and how to apply for them so that's one of the things that I tell people don't take no for an answer not because you don't have it no it doesn't mean you can't do it yeah that's like all
0: right that's that's great and that's good to know so I can't wait for Yep. whatever it is you're working on to come out because we'll definitely want to share that with students Well, oh, Marsha, this has been a really interesting conversation and really insightful i think to people who would be listening so thank you again for making the time
1: thank you so much for having me and thank you for creating this platform i think it's something long overdue
0: and i totally endorse you guys all the way through thank you i appreciate it and to the listeners thank you for joining us on today's pathway keep listening. We'll be right back after a short break. This season of Pathways is brought to you by Telesford Countertop and General Construction Services, your number one source for quartz and solid surface. Their services are not only limited to countertops, their team builds homes, cabinets, vanities, does 3D images, renovations, and quantity estimates. Telesford Countertop and General Construction Services mission statement is pride and delivery upon customer satisfaction. Contact them today at 435-0133 to get started on your construction project.
2: Well, hello, my name is Carolyn Harris and I work at SGU as a demonstrator. I'm Carleen
3: Gibbs and I'm currently an assistant lecturer at the T.A. Community College and a part-time lecturer at St. George's University.
0: All right, so you guys were able to look at a few of the clips from my conversation with Dr. Ramdeen. What are a few of your thoughts off the bat on her story?
3: It's inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more of a reminder that sometimes some people may have their journey being a straight line, but a lot of us have twists and turns and curves before we could actually get to what mm-hmm. we may consider to be you know, exactly what we want. Mm-hmm. And it's encouraging to, to not give up. I really enjoyed the part where she spoke about the scholarships and the fact that there are lots of scholarships out there. Mm-hmm. And don't just go by what you may see or the no's you may get in mm-hmm. just reaching out for scholarships in Grenada. But look online, hunt everywhere. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't have the, the best GPA or the best of anything, you don't put yourself down apply. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So that was one mm-hmm. thing that was really it mm-hmm. stuck with me.
0: I know that you were really interested in the whole idea of patient, um, doctor patient communication. Mm-hmm. What do you think is such an important conversation to have? First of all,
2: I think that there is a lot of work that needs to be done in regards to the healthcare in Grenada. For example, the quality of healthcare as well as the accessibility of of certain procedures. I feel like Good quality healthcare is only afforded to a select few people, mm-hmm. and certain things like surgeries and so on are limited, as well, which would lead people to go in overseas for certain surgeries. So I feel like there is a lot of conversation to be had mm-hmm. when it comes to certain things about healthcare that needs to be improved on, mm-hmm. and those are some of the areas as well as communication as well.
0: Do either of you have experiences, in particular, on the communication end of things, where maybe a care a care provider doesn't give as much information as mm-hmm. you think is necessary, or where you're unsure of what your um, care plan needs to be? Things will
2: need to be more clear for certain people. The terms are terminologies, the language that doctors use. It needs to be more precise, because not everyone knows what, what what should I say, like a very complex term. Not everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. I might know that because I have like background or educational. I know that from the past, I should say. However, someone who did not come across that, doctors should be more clear on what those things are before like diagnosing them. So that's what I think. Communication is a major barrier. Mm -hmm. And... I do agree with what Caroline said, mm-hmm.
3: but another aspect of it is sometimes we think the person knows it because mm-hmm. it might be something that we make into the common mm-hmm. and they may know about it but not understand what it is, sure. so exactly either way i' I've, I've learned and still learning every time I do teaching so never assume. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes those assumptions you can think, oh, that person went, to-. no, mm-mm.
2: Mm-mm.
3: break it down, take the steps. And mm-hmm. also sometimes I think um, with doctors even consider mm-hmm. the psychological aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're breaking news to somebody, you know, making sure that they're having the right set of counseling and it's broached, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a manner yeah. that is not just. Well, I mean, certain things, bad news is bad news. Exactly. But you can come across as gentle Mm. as you can with it. And being sure that the patient would have understood everything that Mm
2: -hmm.
3: was said and what the steps after should be.
0: Right.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Yes. So I think that is important. Yeah. I think the
0: next steps are really important, too, because even, like you said, it's assumptions Let's say someone says you're diagnosed with cancer. Exactly. Or people just assume that's a death sentence mm-hmm. when there may be things that you can do according to what state you're at mm-hmm. to at least improve your life or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just having those conversations and uh, giving patients the opportunity to feel comfortable to the point that they can ask those questions and say, well, what about this? Can I try that? Rather exactly. just leaving it at, you know, sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs>
3: I found myself asking more and more questions
0: mm-hmm.
3: as I'm learning to advocate more for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in asking the questions, you realize that when you ask the questions, I've never really gotten an impatient response. I haven't, mm-hmm. so I'm thankful for that. But then it kind of gives them a, oh, okay, and they, you know, go into whatever mm-hmm. it is that I would have asked. Mm-hmm. So that's I appreciate Um I, something just popped into my head, but it's totally not what you're discussing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, Part of the clip when um, Mm -hmm. Dr. Ramdeen, Mm -hmm. Dr. Ramdeen, she spoke about doctors of different disciplines coming Mm -hmm. together Uh to look at the overall care of a patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I am not a doctor. Mm -hmm. And it has been something I've been dreaming about for years okay. to have, like, be it a, mm-hmm. a center or so, where doctors could literally sit and talk about all aspects of a patient. Exactly. Because one doctor might be responsible for treating the heart. The mm-hmm. heart might be an issue, but is that affecting anything else? Are we looking mm-hmm. at any other underlying things that the the patient may have Mm -hmm. are we looking at nutrition are we looking at Mm -hmm. psychologically how that person is you know um after care i feel like it would be lovely if we could have a facility like that i do know it may like funding may be an issue Mm -hmm. but it would really be lovely if we could you know like doctors could literally have that that sit down and discuss all aspects of a patient, mm-hmm. so that everything would be addressed and not mm-hmm. one over the other. Exactly. And the patient would be, you know, fully informed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you may not have made it to the end of the video, but that's actually one of the dreams I saw. I, saw. <laughs> <the author laughs> talks about. I was like, oh, wow. We'll mm-hmm. see you one
3: day. Yeah. yeah, that would be
0: nice. Something you said just sparked a mm-hmm. memory for me. So I recently read a book called *The Checklist* by. I'm gonna mess up his name. Doctor Atul,
2: the checklist sounds somebody, familiar. The name mm-hmm. of the book is
0: "At the Checklist." Mm-hmm. Um, it's a red book with a big yellow check mark. and he is a doctor. And mm-hmm. uh, it talked about um, basically the premise of the book was about like developing a checklist to make surgeries and healthcare safer. Mm-hmm. But a big part of it was increasing the communication between doctors on the care team, especially yeah. in surgery, because you mentioned that you know there's a lot of times in a surgery maybe in bigger countries but um you have a lot of people who might come into the room who don't know each other but they were just pulled together for this one surgery Mm -hmm. and studies show that the surgeries go way better when there's just simple communication things like they know each other's name or Mm -hmm. you know they're comfortable speaking up if the nurse or the anesthesiologist says like hey something doesn't look right here they're comfortable speaking up and telling that to the general surgeon, and so on. Mm-hmm. So communication is a
3: really huge mm-hmm. thing across, across the board. board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Something else that pops into my mind is... <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be nice if we had an a electronic system. Mm-hmm. Electronic system. Where mm-hmm. sometimes we forget things, mm-hmm. and you have different doctors working with patients from at different times, mm-hmm. you know, so... It would be nice for a doctor to be able to see what this person's history is mm-hmm. when it comes mm-hmm. to diseases and so forth, and all medications and so forth, mm-hmm. because you may go by this doctor and they may only know one side of a story, not exactly. knowing everything about the oh, patient, mm-hmm. and that would be nice. They have different perspectives. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you can look back and actually have progress, yes. you know, and with always respect to mm. uh, scratch. Yeah, you don't want to always start from scratch. yeah And I mean that came back to the, you know, having your your results and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it would be nice if everybody could just mm-hmm. see that log there, you know, like and mm-hmm. know it has started, I believe. But it would be nice if, you know,
2: mm-hmm. at yeah. least
3: yeah. within yeah. Grenada's. I don't know yeah. how, but mm-hmm. it would be nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that doctors could actually see that history mm-hmm. and know exactly what's happening with the client.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the technology is, is out there. Yeah. It is. It's definitely I, out there. I know yeah. it. I believe in, it. Other, in mm-hmm. other
3: countries, larger countries, they may have some form of that. Oh, it, it definitely exists. Uh-huh. But, so I,
0: so I was in the US for a while and mm-hmm. my doctor, I switched doctors a few times because I had to move and they can easily pull up my, and yeah. say, okay, so I see that you've taken this of this medication. Mm, and that's perfect. You, you got these tests uh-huh. done, you got your immunizations, everything is at the click of a button that's yeah. what
3: we need we definitely yeah.
2: need it i think the problem yeah. here is that we're very comfortable with what's happening now we know cool. yeah we do not try to like look at areas that need improvements mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i could say on the flip side of that mm-hmm. is there may be doctors pushing for that mm-hmm. but there's a lot involved with politics and exactly. finances and whatnot. So I wouldn't say that doctors aren't mm-hmm. pushing for some of these things. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's taking mm-hmm. quite some, long time. some time. And sometimes it could be mm-hmm. discouraging for a doctor. Imagine you're here years and years <laughs> and you're pushing for something. Pushing yeah, for something. and nothing
2: happening. Yeah.
3: So I don't necessarily believe that mm-hmm. they're not trying. trying? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I believe, especially even in general hospital, like they're just... Doing the best with the limited <laughs> the tools that, they, that have. they have, whereas if they were given everything that they could, then they'd mm-hmm. be able to do better.
0: Enough credit is not given to the doctors
3: and they do work. They do work. It's it's yeah, just, you know, just you know sometimes we may see it from one mm-hmm, eye and you know, like, go through oh exactly. everything taking so long. All oh, these people, mm-hmm. but if you were to literally like get to mm-hmm. really understand what's happening, you realize hold oh, up. A lot of these doctors and nurses, they are working, they Mm -hmm. are giving, but I can only produce the best with the best tools, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, so, yeah. So another part of uh, the conversation that I thought was interesting is where uh, Dr. Ramdeen was talking about her journey to starting her clinic. So she mentioned that she came back and, you know, she had some, some bumps along the way and eventually you know people were reaching out to her knowing that she did physiotherapy and so on to do that work with friends of theirs or family and you get to the point where even though you know you have all this experience and you've done it before in other countries and all of that still being able to apply that knowledge to a new environment is often a difficult thing to do and at least for me, I started thinking about, you know, the idea of imposter syndrome. Yeah. I definitely struggle with. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on... You said, yeah, real quick. <laughs> imposter syndrome. Yeah, thoughts on imposter syndrome and, like, how you have experienced mm-hmm. it or baffled with it in the past or overcome it.
2: Mm-hmm. I think imposter syndrome is, like... One battle I had with it is being a perfectionist then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like... There's, although I might be doing my best, I feel like I could be doing better. And I think that also has to do with imposter syndrome as well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like sometimes I am around people who are more qualified than I am. So I try to, I guess, try to overwork myself or set a high standard for myself so I could be on that level Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. And so I could see where you're coming from when it comes to imposter syndrome. Especially when you're in a field that is so competitive. Yeah, it can be a bit scary, but I think what you have to really do is not set too too high goals for yourself or just be more realistic Mm -hmm. or just take your time. Like, you will get there. You just have to take your time.
0: And be okay with knowing that you don't have to have all the answers. Exactly. You can ask questions. Mm -hmm. Talk with people.
3: Mm-hmm. they're
2: there to help at the
3: end of the day exactly <laughs> i'm just mm-hmm. thinking about conversations i've had with a lot of my friends it's like mm-hmm. but you know you're so talented and mm-hmm. you're so gifted and i'm like huh mm-hmm. because sometimes i just don't yeah. necessarily see it in me yeah but if i were to sit down and brainstorm, mm-hmm. brainstorm some mm-hmm. of the ideas that would come out of my mouth would be like wait wait what it's yeah. just ridiculous Mm. good not, exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> i think i was speaking to you about this recently yeah. um sometimes like going mm-hmm. back to what was inspiring me about dr Ramdin is the the mm-hmm. twist and the curves mm-hmm. but sometimes when i mean mm-hmm. the twist and the curves it's like i see a whole roadblock like this steel upon steel it's upon steel. steel that i Am just right? can't go through that's uh-huh. so how i visualize it and it's something i'm Walking on as in, okay, you may not mm-hmm. be able to pass this way, but there may be a path right around mm-hmm. here. And, you know, just learning to believe in yourself yeah. and believe in your education mm-hmm. and believing that if there is something that you don't know, mm-hmm. you can still just learn.
2: Exactly.
3: Life is all about learning learn. and growing. And if mm-hmm. we didn't, learn and grow Mm -hmm. then we'd be stagnant and we don't want that exactly so just learning to accept all the bits and pieces Mm -hmm. and learning not to compare yourself to other people exactly
2: i think that is a problem
0: the most important. is hard
3: but Mm -hmm. and not looking at where somebody else is at their stage in life yeah but both of us are the same age so Oh, mm-hmm. or we may have had similar degrees. Mm-hmm. Your path is yours. Their path is theirs. Yes. Your dream is yours. Yeah. Their dream is theirs. Exactly. And just keep exactly. pushing, and you know, just it will open up. Everything mm-hmm. will work out. Trust the
2: process, and you'll mm-hmm. be better for it. So exactly. That's where I go, on that. Mm-hmm. What Am um, Carlene said before is very inspiring. How. Marsha's story, the journey to where she from, where she came to where she is now. Mm-hmm. I find it very inspiring. So, I also have like big dreams for myself. And although the job that I have, I'm very like comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm learning a lot in it, and I'm growing a lot in it. I still have like big dreams that what Marsha also has, and I also envision myself getting there. However, again, it's all it's taking your time.
0: Mm-hmm someone told mm-hmm. to me before, but um, a lot of the people that I talk to on Pathways, mm-hmm. everyone after watching it is like, that was so inspirational, mm-hmm. and they would think they're the least inspiring yeah. <laughs> 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 so it's just like, mm-hmm. to prove to you that everyone is kind of in the same boat, mm-hmm. like, even if you look at someone and it's like, oh, wow, yeah. they're doing great things, in their mind, they're like, there's so much more I need to do, uh-huh. they're mm-hmm. never, we're never yeah. satisfied, human beings that's so it's true. interesting, yeah, and they exactly. would look at
3: us who may feel mm-hmm. like we're nowhere near there and they're like oh my gosh but mm-hmm. she's so talented in this area oh, yeah man. this is so cool mm-hmm. so it's, i think maybe we need to support each other more mm-hmm. and be exactly. more vocal about mm-hmm. these insecurities exactly and, you know the challenges that we face and we mm-hmm. realize that hey we're all well, in the same never. boat yeah <laughs> exactly we're all to just you know trust the process mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It will work out. Exactly. You're willing to, you know, take, but in trust mm-hmm. in the process. We still have to put a foot in front of it, mm-hmm. even though we may not see exactly, yeah, exactly. where, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Believe that it will work out and never mm-hmm. stop trying to achieve that dream, no matter mm-hmm. how hard it may be. Yeah. Just asking questions. Exactly. Sometimes our major blocks are in our own head. Exactly. But if we could speak it out and talk to somebody, we may get ideas mm-hmm. or, you know, a different point of view as to where to go. Mm-hmm. So being able to talk to each other, connect mm-hmm. with each other about these things, I mm-hmm. think that's extremely important. Exactly. And also, you know, never mm-hmm. leaving the, the younger ones behind.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
3: I mean, we're lost so, but they still, they're <laughs> still can guide different. them. Yeah, okay, exactly. I can guide you to this spot, you know, mm-hmm. and somebody else might be able to guide me yeah. to, you know, so being able to recognize that and to do the best that we can, no Mm -hmm. matter how challenging it may be. Mm -hmm. That's
0: amazing. I hope that all of you watching or listening were able to take something away from that conversation. Mm -hmm. And either way, thank you so much for joining us on today's Pathway. Thanks so much for listening. We would absolutely appreciate your comments and feedback as we try to make this podcast more beneficial for you our listeners, and watchers. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to press the review button, let us know how we're doing, and let others know that this is something that's worth their time. We also love to see your comments and engagement on social media, so head over to the post and let us know what you think about this latest episode.